But first, a little about the upcoming session. Next week, Andrew Malcolm and Perry Stein, who are Lethbridge community planners, will talk to us about Lethbridge at 100,000 plus population. How are we growing and how fast are we going? They will be telling us about plans to consult citizens on growth going forward. Now, I might also say that more information related to our talk today will be available on the SACPA website. You can hear the audio of this and past sessions, participate in online commentary. There's a suggestion box outside where you can contribute your ideas. Now, today we've heard that our developing taxation system may be out of tune with the needs of the world and our competitors. Our speaker is Professor Jack Mintz. Please come to the podium, Dr. Mintz, in anticipation of some thought-provoking questions and questioners. Please come to the microphone. Remember to state your name. Keep your comments brief and your questions succinct and just one or two in number at any one time. I Very good, Frank. Thank you. I, you. You have set a precedent here, Jax. It's <laughs> the first time this has happened, I think. Okay, we, we have a questioner and we have an answerer. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. the answer. I think questioner is a word. I'm not sure answerer is. Is it on? <laughs> I'm Evertonis. And I have met many people that pat each other on the back that we only produce 1.6% greenhouse gases. However, when I realized that Canada Canadians are only half percent of the population, we become major polluters. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we have to add that into the equation. Technologies has been around. They have been bought up by other interests. So we don't have an electric car. And we don't want to use it because the power of the resource extraction and the subsidy we pay in keeps everybody slaves to the oil. Thank you. Well, first of all, uh, uh, let, me, let me say, I mean, last night actually I did talk, uh, I had much longer time to talk, so you, it's not everything that you can go into. but. Uh, it is correct that actually Canada is one of the higher per capita consumers of, or emitters of greenhouse gas, um, greenhouse gas emissions, and that's quite c correct. Um, and in fact, any any country that has uh, a relatively smaller population uh, with a large resource base, uh, which includes places like Australia and 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 others, uh, Middle East. You know, et cetera, they are in Norway, they are going to have uh, high emissions per capita. Uh, and in fact, that's actually is one of the issues that has to, that's not, that doesn't make greenhouse gas emissions uh, 
public policy easy because the reason why it, it, it gets complex is that if, if it's a question of what's fair. If you say that high per capita consumers should pay a bigger, you know, should pay, should, uh, let's say, have a bigger price or they should be, uh, you know, if you had a single price but uh, end up uh, getting uh, uh, hit more because they are more intensive in greenhouse gas emissions, then of course that's going to be, uh, you know, that's, that's going to uh, mean that their economies are going to have to adjust more uh, compared to others that are low per capita uh, consumers. The other fair, fairness issue that comes up is uh, the emerging and less developed economies uh, will argue that, look, we didn't put up greenhouse gas emissions uh, into the air earlier on because really what you do is you have to worry about the stock in the air and not just the flow that goes in each year. Um, and, uh, and so therefore, uh, you need to, uh, you need to uh, uh, give us a break or give us money uh, from the industrialized nations that have been around a long time and have created a lot of greenhouse gas emissions from the past uh, and compensate us for it. And, and that's and that's her arguments. And then you have countries like India that will say, well, look, we want to grow right now. We have a population that's uh, moving up and we're trying to deal with poverty and reduce poverty. And we're not about to uh, try to reduce uh, our efforts in, in trying to uh, grow the uh, Indian economy because we have to remember that energy actually is one of the major uh, reasons for advancement of society over the years, uh, going back to the beginning of mankind. Uh, as, as a very good book by Ian Morris uh, uh, wrote, a uh, Stanford professor, on three major sources of uh, what, what causes societies to grow faster, uh, and one of them is energy, the other ones being obviously technology and and urbanization; those those are the three major factors, and so uh, you know these these are that's part of the policy framework that one has to deal with, uh, because there are going to be different impacts. Just one final point with respect to electrical cars, and and there's been some very good work uh, done uh, by a number of, of people looking, you know, have looked at electrical cars. So right now, hybrids, uh, although they are more expensive than um, a normal gas-powered car. Uh, if prices of, are high enough, uh, uh, they certainly, uh, for, for gasoline, they'll certainly encourage more people to buy hybrids. And, and in fact, uh, recent statistics actually in the United States, you'll see there's been a decline in hybrid purchases that are still only, uh, I forget the exact number, but still, it's, I know it's less than 5% of total car purchases uh, in the United States. In fact, there's been an increase in SUV purchases and, and, and other things. Uh, Hybrids actually, uh, from a consumer's point of view, uh, are quite good in the sense that you can drive long distances with them, they'll switch to gasoline uh, when you, if you do need an, an alternative power source. Uh, and so it can work, uh, the hybrids, quite well. In fact, the car companies now are working on advanced hybrid technologies that would mean more electricity uh, and less oil. Um, the electrical car, though, however, has two major problems in terms of being consumer friendly. Uh, one is the cost. Uh, you know, the, uh, although they're now moving to cheaper uh, electrical cars that uh, with subsidies can get it down to around $30,000, $35,000, but uh, they don't have a lot of distance for driving. The other thing is that electrical uh, batteries in, in cars uh, take up a lot of space. And one of the needs 
in terms of future technologies to cut down the size of the electrical cells or the battery uh, to be used, as well as ways of trying to uh, have a method of, uh, of allowing people to more quickly charge up. Now, Tesla does have this supercharger that you can, you can get onto, but then you have to construct all the, you know, all the technology to do that. Main point is that there are things out there that eventually uh, will work, but I think what will work most is when you get a technology that A, doesn't require subsidization, and people want to buy it because it, it's a cheaper uh, technology, but also one that's convenient for the customer. And we're not quite there with electrical cars, uh, but we may be there in 20, 30 years' time, or 40, we don't know yet. But, uh, and probably it's one of these things with disruptor technologies is that once it becomes popular, uh, it can move very quickly in terms of a lot of purchasing. But uh, it's going to take some time still. We're not quite there. Hi, my name is Henning Mundell. I want to uh, ask you, I was quite intrigued bringing it back to carbon taxing. When did Jack Mintz start believing in the value of carbon taxing? <laughs> That's a good question. So let me tell you the history of actually. Um, if you go, uh, if any of you have ever seen the report I did for Paul Martin, I chaired the business tax review panel back in 96 and 97. And there's a chapter there on environmental taxes, arguing to convert the federal fuel excise tax into broad-based environmental tax. And we actually wanted to talk about carbon taxation at that point, but there was a certain prime minister at that point said there will be no carbon tax in Canada. We were not allowed to use the word carbon tax. Uh, but if you read that chapter, actually, you can see that was the precursor of uh, discussions later on. Uh, the person who wrote the chapter with me was Nancy Oweiler, um, uh, who's at University of British Columbia. And in, I think it was around 2004 or 5, we decided that uh, since we didn't have anyone to constrain us, that we'd write a full-fledged paper on what a carbon tax would do. And so we had, rec we had looked at the idea of converting the federal fuel excise tax at 10 cents a liter uh, is equivalent to about a $40 carbon tax. And we said, what happens if we put it uh, on all uh, goods and services? We argued we should try to keep it at the consumption level, which means exempting exports. So this way, you know, saying that other countries should be taxing carbons and let them pick it up on a consumption basis. So this way you don't hurt international competitiveness. And we also, uh, we also said that if you use the revenue to cut corporate and personal income taxes, <laughs> tax rates, <laughs> as well as use some of the revenue to fund research in new carbon technologies. So that was the whole broad framework. Um, uh, we did convince uh, that that framework actually became the framework for the BC carbon tax. It was uh, Mark Jacquard and Nancy uh, did work with the uh, Premier Camel and bringing in the BC carbon tax, uh, which by and large most people around the world will say it was a relatively well-designed carbon tax. Um, then uh, then uh, uh, I got a phone call one day from uh, the federal liberals that were running when the 2008 election and they said, well, we really like your idea and we're thinking of recommending our green shift plant. Uh, which they brought out, of course, in that election, and of course they got roundly <laughs> defeated on it. Uh, but uh, that's that that the whole—if uh, you re see what they did, the, it was to take the federal fuel excise tax and, and broaden it. Which, by the way, the federal fuel excise tax raises about four to five billion dollars in revenue. 
uh, and a carbon tax, a full-fledged carbon tax at 40 billion at that time would raise around uh, 20 billion dollars in revenue. Today, I think it would even be a bigger number. In fact, I estimated that given current greenhouse gas emissions in Canada, um, a $40 uh, tax would, would raise uh, roughly $30 billion uh, in, instead. So it's, you know, the number has gone up. Uh, so I am Ariana Lewis, and thank you, Mr. Doc Dr. Jack Mintz, for coming down here to present. Um, so earlier you were talking about less regulations on corporations as they're already facing negative implications from carbon tax. Um, I have heard Alberta energy regulators and other sources uh, say that trying to hold companies accountable for cleanup of sites or spills is very difficult. Environmental regulations can be very vague in order to try and navigate um, the many different environmental issues. Do you think the legal system is prepared to handle the different challenges arising uh, with carbon taxing trade and regulations between governments and corporations, because taxpayers' money for legal, f um, because taxpayers pay for the legal fees, and it makes laws for environmental. It's hard to make laws for environmental issues, and it is also difficult to pass them as well. Okay, um, oh, it's. Uh, I think there's two separate issues uh, that are involved with your question. One is uh, the issue around uh, um, in um, cleanup and re restoration of, of land. Um, and the other, uh, which is a, which is an issue, and I'll I'll say some things about that. Uh, and the other issue is whether you know, governments, if they're having trouble, if I understand your question, if they're having trouble dealing with one issue, can we have confidence that they're going to be able to deal with a different issue? Um, I'm not sure what I can say about that issue so much. Uh, hopefully, uh, with enough uh, uh, consultation and working. Uh, Especially here in Alberta, where there's a lot of very smart people, uh, that uh, that uh, you know that hopefully governments can uh, bring in the right policies. You know, I will give uh, credit to uh, uh, to the NDP government uh, on the royalty review. Uh, they had very good people involved in in designing it, and they brought out a much better system uh, than existed previously. They, it simplified way, the way that royalties were applied and things like that. Um, and so they did a very good job, and, and that's because they did a very good consultation system. They had very good people to consult. So if you get the right people around the table to at least talk about the technical problems and try to get, you know, to a to a better solution, uh, you know, sometimes we see a good, you know, good policy evolving. And uh, and so in carbon, there are a lot of very good people involved with the subject, and hopefully, um, over time, we'll get to the right place. And that's why I said I, I think the NDP. Uh, carbon policy gets it half right because they did go to the carbon tax. Generally, the carbon tax, uh, I would say, uh, although we don't know all the regulations yet, so we don't know how it's going to be completely implemented, uh, but I would say that at least in the direction it's, it's gone in the right way. The environmental uh, uh, cleanup issue is, is a serious one. So right now, uh, governments uh, do require uh, companies to put aside money into trust funds uh, that uh, cannot be used by the company except for environmental cleanup. Uh, and, and companies do contribute to their fund over time, which the fund is supposed to be available to, uh, to do the cleanup at, at a later time. Uh, believe, it enough, uh, believe it or not, uh, the larger firms are pretty good. <laughs> they have large trust funds and they, they carry it out, uh, their responsibilities. 
And I should mention there is a tax system that, that, that provides some encouragement for those environmental trust funds because the companies can uh, write off the amount of money that uh, goes into the funds. Um, they still have to pay tax on the income buildup within the fund, uh, but if the fund is used for environmental cleanup uh, afterwards, uh, then you know that uh, there's no tax on the, on the expenditure in a sense uh, or anything like that. So it's, it's a tax system that kind of does encourage the, the buildup of, of, the, of these funds. Um, uh, the problem though, and I know of, uh, is um, smaller firms and going out of business and, and not putting enough, you know, you know, not putting enough money into the funds as they were uh, required to do. And, uh, and, uh, and I remember having a meeting a few years ago with Alberta government officials that were talking about uh, the number of areas around Alberta that the government's going to be liable for for cleanup uh, because it's not sufficient funds have been effectively put uh, in, in trust to make sure that that cleanup is going to get covered. A and it is an issue uh, that I think is going to have to be dealt with. I don't have any clear answers how to do it outside of, you know, this might be one of the areas where the carbon tax could help fund uh, in the future, which is uh, if it's uh, if it's absolutely required. But again, carbon tax is just one source of funds amongst other sources of funds. If uh, if you got five billion dollars in carbon tax, and uh, you know that's uh, roughly around uh, there's about forty billion dollars right now that the Alberta government raises. So. It's only it's a it's all part of the big pot of money that's there. My name is Don Ryan, and um, I think we're all adults here. And um, I'd like to make a comment first, that, uh, and I'd like to ask a question. My comment is that um, I grew up in a family, a large family that uh, was involved in quite a few different businesses. And it seems, oh, I don't think I'm that old, but I'm, I'm uh, retired. Uh, I don't recall in my short life all of the businesses that my family were involved in that they got as much subsidies, incentives, tax breaks, and ways to avoid the costs of doing business. Now I think, as I mentioned, we're all adults here. And I believe if you make a profit here, you should pay your taxes here. And I also think that um, businesses and consumers need to be responsible enough to accept that if you're having conveniences, whether it's electricity, whether it's a car, or any of the other conveniences that we get used to in our society, we should be prepared to pay for them. And what's happening too often with the propaganda from business, especially big corporations, is that they try to avoid the costs. And somebody has to pay them in the end. Yeah. Don? Yes. So I'd like to ask you as an economist, do you believe that people and corporations making a profits here in Canada should get away without paying their taxes here? Okay, so um, <laughs> you're going back to my 
uh, writings that I've had over the umpteen years, and including uh, the work that I did on the on the business tax panel. So first of all, uh, I have a very clear philosophy of of uh, of, of taxation. Uh, for, uh, and first of all, uh, and it's based on uh, issues around efficiency and fairness and everything else. So one of the important questions one has to remember is uh, who pays the corporate income tax? It's not corporations. Corporations are just paper entities. Uh, it's either consumers of the products from a, co a corporation, it's uh, workers that uh, depend on wages being paid to them and jobs, uh, and it's shareholders. And if you look at the uh, literature today uh, on corporate taxation, uh, very significant share, at least two-thirds, I would argue, uh, actually falls on workers uh, or on consumers through higher prices. It again hurts workers because they lose purchasing power of their, of their money. So actually the corporate tax, uh, unlike what everyone tries to argue, uh, the corporate income tax particularly, is actually a regressive tax. It tends to hit more lower income people than upper income people, which is why a lot of countries around the world have been uh, shifting away from corporate income taxes to some extent, not entirely, but it's because it's still part of the personal tax system. And in fact, you can avoid the personal tax if you didn't have a corporate income tax. The corporate income tax is very important to make sure people are paying tax on their, on their income. Uh, the second part of my philosophy, and, and many economists will share that, is that uh, I like neutrality amongst businesses. I like the same corporate business tax burden along all businesses uh, without differentiation. In other words, uh, I don't think manufacturing companies should be taxed less than non-manufacturing companies. I don't think resource firms should be taxed more or less than other uh, firms under the corporate tax. I do think that the government should be assessing royalties to collect a payment for the resources that they own in the ground which is the royalty, and I think that is the appropriate role of royalty, which I look at as separate uh, from other taxes uh, to be paid. And so that, because it's like paying a fee for, uh, by the private producer for a resource that's owned by the government, and the government is allowing that private producer to uh, extract the resource uh, and sell it to the market. And so when you take that point of view, I'm very much, and if you ever read a lot of things I write, I don't like subsidies for businesses. I don't like special preferences. I've been opposed to accelerated depreciation for capital. I'm not in favor of accelerated depreciation that was given in the oil sands. I was on record of that in 1997, uh, et cetera. And, and it's, it's all part of this philosophy of keeping bases broad, keep rates low uh, in terms of, uh, and, and understanding what the role of a, of a corporate tax is, uh, which is, uh, I think, important. As far as the, um, uh, the actual numbers, uh, if you look at what's happened to corporate taxation over the years, and I've been involved with three tax reforms uh, over the past 30 years in Canada since actually the mid-1980s. Uh, actually, uh, uh, we did a terrible job collecting corporate income taxes 30 years ago because governments had all these special gimmicks in the system to you know, to encourage investment, accelerated depreciation, investment tax credits, this and that. There, it was, the system was just replete with them. I mean, you had a lot of companies that were in lost positions and weren't paying corporate income taxes. And so we started cleaning up the system in 1987, 86, uh, and then, or 85 actually, which was the first tranche of corporate tax reform. And then we revisited again uh, later on. If you look today, actually, uh, corporate income taxes, uh, 
uh, are more than what we had in the 1980s. Uh, and in fact, uh, as a share of GDP. And in fact, despite the rate reductions, which was really a way of dealing with having Canada actually had the highest corporate tax burden amongst all OECD countries in the year 2000, or 1999, uh, today actually we're kind of in the middle of the pack. So we've really improved our, t our tax system to a very uh, significant extent in terms of international competitiveness, which I would argue actually has helped us uh, have more people employed and more jobs created in Canada as a result. Um, but if you look at what we've done, actually, the corporate tax revenues have actually kept up. At the, it's, it runs between 3 to 3.5% and 3 .5 of GDP. And despite the United States having a, a higher corporate income tax rate, they have so many special preferences in the system, they collect less corporate taxes share of GDP than we do. So it just shows you that I think we've, we've done a remarkable job in 30 years uh, achieving a much better system. Uh, are there some corporations that don't pay tax? Yes, partly because they could be a startup corporation and they don't not earning the profits yet. There are some corporations that uh, have, you know, in Canada, a cyclical economy, you have companies that go, you know, they're making a lot of money one year and then they're losing money another year, you know, because of the cycles in, in commodity prices. And we know that in here in Alberta better than uh, most places. And, and so you tend to have uh, people going in and out of loss positions. And then, of course, we've had governments giving away uh, special preferences, like, again, manufacturing is, is a good example. So I think, you know, I think we, uh, we've moved to a more balanced system, but there's more work to be done. And uh, I won't go into some of my other points, but I don't think you want to hear me on small business taxation. Anyway. I think we, we've got, we have three more questioners, uh, Jack, so let's keep it short. Okay. Okay, quick question, you can give a quick answer. Uh, thank you very much for being here. Uh, it's a real privilege to engage with you. Uh, I sense from some of your comments that uh, you seem to have a fairly leisurely approach to this uh, problem of climate change and environmental issues that, you know, we can afford to have less regulation because we'll get it right eventually. Uh, but one of the tensions in this room here and one of the tensions across our country is the sense of urgency about it. and I. I believe that economists really don't have any more expertise in that area than a lot of others of us. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a real tension around how urgent is this, and I sense from you a lack of sense of urgency that many other uh, environmentalists would uh, feel strongly about. Just okay. No, it's a, it's I invite a, you to comment. It's a fair point. I've, and actually, I purposely don't like talking about climate science because I'm science because I'm not a climate science expert. I'm a public finance expert, so I like talking about carbon taxation and the right way of doing it, but I, uh, but I don't like, uh, you know, uh, saying, you know, like how much of a rush we're in or, or whatever. Uh, but I can tell you that one of the big questions we do have to ask, and I think, I don't know the answer myself, but I think people need to ask this question, is how fast do we try to reduce emissions? Um, not to say that there isn't an urgent problem, but it, would it be better to allow the new technologies to develop uh, to get, in other words, faster emission reduction in the future, but giving time for those technologies to uh, to um, to come in, and I think that's otherwise we could end up imposing very high, you know, re certain regulations, and particularly regu on the regulatory side, that could cause uh, a lot of harm to the economy, but potentially undermine political support for carbon for carbon pricing, and so that's uh, that's really where I, I maybe I sound a little less urgent for that reason, but. I'm raising that as a question that we need to think about carefully. 
<clears throat> My name is Dave Shepard. Um, I uh, thank you for your presentation, very stimulating. Uh, but I'm one that doesn't share your faith in technology, I guess. And um, I want to ask you uh, about uh, carbon capture and storage, which hasn't, it's a technology that hasn't been mentioned here today, and uh, your opinion about it. Okay, um, actually, I did talk about it last night, but I had more time. Uh, <laughs> um, carbon uh, capture and technology, at least in nor North America, can work, can work at about $100 a, um, a ton for carbon, at, at current, at current technologies with CCS. So that's not completely out of um, you know out of the out of out of, uh, out of the picture. And in fact, if you look at uh, what people are planning for carbon prices, which they include right now in their investment numbers, uh, the, in North America and Europe, uh, people are using by 2040 um, or 2030 a carbon price of about eighty dollars. So we're moving into that direction. And uh, and in fact, right now for planning purposes, people are using uh, carbon prices of some sort. Uh, now I should say that uh, the, the number in China is about $35, <laughs> which is uh, a little depressing actually, uh, because as we know, this is a big picture, a big world problem, and, and not just one region of the world is going to solve it. So, uh, uh, so I think uh, CCS, I think, uh, as we move into higher carbon prices, is going to be quite, uh, is going to make a lot of sense. And in fact, if the technology improves to push that $100 cost down. Uh, to a lower level, then, uh, you know, it's certainly going to be a viable op option. Bev Mundell-Atherstone, thank you very much for being here. <coughs> um, I don't think that you understood Everett Tannis' question about the electric cars. I think the point Everett was making is that electric cars currently run on electricity that's created by coal. So that's my point. Um, the other thing was, I thought it was quite magnanimous of you to say that Rachel Notley and her government got it half right with the carbon tax. Um, in, in Ontario, that was your, your uh, example of how things were wrong, and that the GST and HST um, actually are regressive taxes, which of course the Notley government agrees with. But instead of doing an HST or GST, having a carbon tax where the people who are the poorest and get hit most um, devastatingly by the tax get, get a, a relief on their income tax is one way of dealing with that. Um, the other, that was one of your points. The other point was that um, you said we, we shouldn't be giving, sorry? Be, uh, we're running short, yep, Bev. Yep. Can you come to Well, don't interrupt me. So <laughs> we should be. See, now I've lost my train of thought because you interrupted me. Sorry. <laughs> Oil and gas have been getting subsidies for 100 years, but the renewables have not. So putting the money into renewables is a much better way to get that timeline uh, going quickly so that we will be reducing our carbon footprint. So... Uh, uh, don't you agree that you've actually argued against your own point? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, so first of all, um, uh, okay, so I would, I would argue that uh, in earlier times, and I think your point may be right that there was uh, subsidies in the system, but if you read a paper that uh, Ken McKenzie and I have done, uh, which is based on a lot of analytical work, and you look at all the taxes and everything, imposed on new investments in an industry, 
Um, actually, oil and gas is, uh, is the most highly taxed industry in, in, in Alberta uh, and higher than the average of all industries. So uh, people often talk about there are certain breaks, particularly in exploration, just like companies get for research and development in expensing that cost. Uh, but actually, uh, the biggest uh, subsidies tend to go more to, uh, towards um, their tax breaks, I should say, go to the junior oil and gas and mining companies that like flow through shares uh, than anything else right now. And, uh, and so actually, uh, it's quite the opposite. There isn't subsidization, I would say, of oil and gas investments in, in, in Canada uh, anymore. And if you look on the consumer demand side, there isn't uh, subsidization, subsidization, although I would argue that Ontario now taking the tax off electricity is giving a break towards consumption electricity uh, compared to uh, other goods and services, and you've got to ask the question, is that the right policy uh, to pursue? Um, your point about electric cars may be a misunderstood the point. Uh, uh, I would agree that um, uh, it's not so much electric cars, I would argue that it's, it's you know, one, you can make an argument about maybe higher taxation on coal compared to other sources, not because of carbon, like if you put a price on carbon, put a price on carbon. But maybe we should also be putting on other environmental taxes related to NOxes and SOxes. And in that case, coal might be subject to a higher tax compared to, let's say, natural gas uh, for that reason. And, and so there is an argument for doing that, but I think we should try to measure those things and, and, try, to, and try to get the right balance. Again, my, my whole point, it goes back to economic efficiency uh, and, and what is the cheapest way of, uh, of uh, bringing in policies to, Im to improve the environment. And, and I think we should be working towards that end. Well. Thank, thanks very much for that deep 